Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm the co-founder on Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda, and I'm about to be joined by my fellow co-founder, Tyler Lambert. On the agenda this week, we discuss the gender gap in content creators and influencers. The four-day work week is getting closer to reality and we share how to really push and meet a deadline. Thank you for listening. How are you, Tyler? I'm good, Anne. I'm on the home stretch. <laughs> a few days until giving birth, hence why we thought it might be a good time to talk about how to really push a deadline until <laughs> the last possible minute. So that will be coming up later on. But today we've got a few different bits and pieces to talk about. We might start with wins for women, as we always do. And this week, a big shout out to our support of this segment, helping us make this podcast possible. And of course, everything we do on Women's Agenda possible. And that is the Cartier Women's Initiative, which is a global entrepreneurship program that champions women founders whose businesses have a social or environmental impact so you can go and have a look at this program. Eligible businesses must be for profit in the early stages of growth, and they must do what we really love to hear, and that is meet one of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. This year marks the program's expansion with the creation of a Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Award. It's open to all genders and a new regional award, which is exclusively for founders and entrepreneurs from Australia. So go check it out because applications are open until the end of this month, and there's plenty of great prizes. You can check that out. We will leave the link to go and have a look in the show notes, but you can also check it out at cardiawomensinitiative.com. On to wins. Tali, you've got a great one for us this week. What is it? I think it's one that everyone's pretty stoked about, to be honest. Um, so the Billow family are back today. We have it on good authority that there is a big celebration underway. Um, there was already a diversity festival planned um, in Biluela this weekend, but it is likely to double as um, a celebration to welcome um, that family home who have been <clears throat> spending the last four years in a really brutal state of limbo. Um, we know, you know, they were forced out of their home in, in 2018 in the community of Biluela where they were very much a beloved part of that community um, the rationale behind it was that um, Priya, the, the mother's um, visa was coming to an end, but they were removed from their home in the, the kind of dead of night and, and taken to Christmas Island where they spent two years um, and then ended up in Perth last year, um, but only after what their youngest daughter, Thanika, became really ill. Um, and it was announced by the Labor government um, just three weeks ago that they would be now coming back to Billow after a huge campaign and petition, um, which was signed by more than 600,000 people in Australia um, who really just wanted to see this family return to where they're meant to be. Um, so it's really exciting. I'm, I, I think it's just such a like welcome relief to hear news like that. And um, I wrote a piece today just about the fact that our response to the Billow family, I, I just feel like it proves that humanity, not fear, lies at the heart of Australia's national identity. And I think for so long, 
politicians and government or certain politicians and government do try to stoke that kind of um, sentiment of division and disunity um, among us with stories like this, but really the the plight of the Nadasalingam family was what brought us all together and um and now they're they're home and hopefully they're home for good yeah it's a great story and what I love is that town I mean sometimes you can have and I've never been to um the town I've um you know you can have these kind of ideas in your head that maybe it would be a, a part of Queensland that might not be as progressive as other parts of the country or certainly not as progressive as other metropolitan areas or as progressive as Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne and there you have this town that has just absolutely embraced this family and so much of this entire story comes back to the people in that community who have absolutely kept this front of the agenda and have issued so much support for for that family and I think it's awesome also that it coincides with this diversity festival that will be happening there um, I'll cross to two very quick wins. I have to give a little shout out to the piece that uh, Mads did on Jacinda Ardern meeting Anthony Albanese. <laughs> they had dinner last night and it wasn't the official dinner. The official event is on today. So we'll learn more about what comes out of that. But I like that Mads has kind of had a little think about what may have been the topics of conversation last night. <laughs> and we can only guess where they, that would have gone in terms of uh, where we are with uh, the change of government, what was going on with the previous Prime Minister. Uh, I liked the little take on on music and it sounds like Albanese has passed on some of his favourite Australian records to um, Ardern. That's great. So a little win there. But other than that, I wanted to do a quick mention of a few different research reports that have come out the last couple of weeks that actually uh, consider gender differences and in so often in research, it's first of all, they might, might not take into account gender differences or otherwise in many cases, uh, men have often dominated the, the subjects who've been part of that research and they've just kind of applied it to people in general. But this one actually highlights uh, some of the differences that they've identified in men and women. And this is in health research and particularly exercise research. So there was one study that looked at the optimal time to reap the benefits of exercise and looked at differences in men and women and traditionally you kind of like see these studies and they just come up with one optimal time that applies to everyone but that's not the case these researchers found and it was a small scale study but it did get a fair bit of um, pickup across the media it found that women burn more fat exercising during morning hours while men burned more fat at night and they found that women aiming to improve blood pressure also get better results by exercising in the morning so interesting results there that are you know actually really beneficial to know those gender differences and there's another one that we published earlier this week that identified some of the factors to explain how women actually feel the cold more than men and uh, you hear this sort of anecdotally there's lots of debate and discussions about this but this uh, piece actually goes through and identifies some of the factors that actually do make a difference. Uh, things like lower muscle mass for women, meaning less ability to generate heat. Um, there's hormonal differences and all the things that can actually lead to these researchers have found women feeling up to three degrees cooler in their hands and feet than men. So I feel like you're the exception to that rule though, because <laughs> when we shared an office together, every time you would come in in the bloody winter and put air conditioning on, 
<laughs> I, I run very I know I don't I don't like to be in heating environments I'd rather just wear a jumper or like a jacket or something <laughs> in saying that I get like that I do get the extremities thing like it is an issue isn't it and also I read somewhere like maybe a couple of years ago about how office temperatures are typically determined um to you know meet the needs of men um and so women too often just sit um feeling cold because because that's how it's been but um yeah I mean these studies do help when we know what's going on behind them and and hopefully we can start to shift some of that like really weird unconscious bias I think Mm -hmm. yeah 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 well you know if there is like there's actual difference there in terms of women feeling the cold more then we need to kind of consider office temperatures I, I don't necessarily know how you do that I mean we're currently in an office that we share with some other businesses and we all happen to be females <laughs> it kind of but then yeah. I'm the one who doesn't want the heater on so <laughs> I think we can go to the next stories we wanted to talk a little bit about the four-day work week which is something that we've followed uh, quite a bit on women's agenda over the years and especially pre-pandemic when in uh, certain environments particularly knowledge-based environments um, in you know small law firms or small accounting firms or whatever it may be the idea of the four-day work week uh, still seemed a fair way off and when I say the idea I know that it's often been there as an option for people who want to work full-time often means that they end up just taking 80% of the salary for actually uh, achieving the same results anyway. But over the years, we've seen some small scale studies of officers that try this out themselves and go in and say, well, we're just going to pay you the same amount, but we just want you to do the work in four days instead of five. So you can have every Friday off. And then we've seen small scale studies in various parts of the world. Iceland, I think it was, uh, examining the four day work week and, and how it could work and also comments from, uh, again, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern thinking about, you know, post-lockdown talking about how, you know, a three-day weekend could actually be a really fast way to inject life back into the domestic tourism market if everyone could have that scope to actually take three days to go exploring. It could make a real difference. So it's all happening. But now in the UK, the biggest study of the four-day week has just kicked off and it covers... Uh, multiple different industries and different organisations, including things like in hospitality and in, in, you know, more traditional knowledge work where you might think it might be easier to achieve. And that's kicking off and it's going to run for six months. And they'll basically identify all the various factors as to what the benefits were. If there were any benefits, they'll, they'll look at the impact on productivity. They'll look at the impact on gender equality, which I think is really interesting. And I just think this, we're on the path. We're on the path to seeing the four-day week become potentially more of a reality in the future. I don't know what that means for everything else that goes on, you know, childcare centres or uh, for schools and things like that. But I think that we're, we're, we're getting somewhere in terms of rethinking how we actually think about the work week. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, it might not be the case that a four-day work week works for everyone, um, but I do think that these conversations and steps towards trying to reform, um, you know, what are kind of archaic um, ways of working now. Like most people don't work efficiently under that kind of nine-to-five, five-day-a-week rule anymore. Like it just doesn't suit 
the needs of modern families and modern people. Um, so I think it's it's always good that we're having these conversations and that governments are prepared to and employers are prepared to step towards progress here because it can be daunting. I get it. Like, you know, as uh, as people who run a business ourselves, like we know that it's always it's it's a kind of daunting prospect to think that you you might be kind of um, adjusting things or people might not be able to work efficiently um, or well, but you do just have to a trust your staff because you've employed them for a reason and um, and if you don't, then that's a fundamental problem. Um, and b just always be kind of open minded about what might work best. Um, and as long as that's always being kind of monitored and looked at, then I think that's always a good thing. And mm. as someone who really does need to work flexibly, um, I think it is always um, nice to know that this is becoming a far more common agenda. Yeah, but it is one of those things like it doesn't work for everyone. And I am someone who needs to work flexibly. And that's not just because of kids and things. That's also because of just how... I operate in a way. I know that like I, if I'm uh, have the time and feeling particularly productive or inspired, I want to try and work on the weekends and my off, off days and try and make the most of that time. Whereas if I'm just not feeling anything at all, I'd rather, you know, spend that time trying to work on something with my kids or look at, you know, trying to go for a run or something and using that time in a different way. So I like having the flexibility over the full week. Um, so I don't know if the four-day work week would necessarily be for me, but I, I know it'd certainly be for a lot of other people and certainly makes things like um, paying for childcare a little bit simpler to manage that you can try to get it all in that four days or if you need extra help with kids from other people that it just sort of consolidates the week a little bit. But ultimately, I like to see this as part of just the wider trend that, you know, it's been more than 100 years since we moved from the six-day work week to the five-day work week. We still have this very archaic idea of work in terms of what was created a hundred years ago it just doesn't make sense that we still have to think about work along those same lines and we saw this massive progress and shift and change in the pandemic which I don't think we ever could have expected the speed of that and as we know that level of flexibility didn't go to all industries and it's now time to see more of that flexibility go to other industries but as we also know and we've spoken about that type of flexibility and more work from home doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's uh, great outcomes for gender equality, especially if we see more women working from home and more men going to a place of work or to an office where they get more face time and potentially more opportunities for leadership and promotions and uh, pay rises and things like that. But we need to have these conversations about flexibility and it's not one size fits all. It's about flexibility as the norm. Yeah. Speaking of flexibility, uh, we have quite a set deadline for you as next week. <laughs> and you've decided that you're going to work until the day before that deadline. And I suggested maybe work <laughs> until two days before that deadline. And I think I've got you to agree to that. I'm not sure. But I feel like you've been kind of ticking off on a giant to-do list. I have, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I know that feeling. So Tyler is about to have a baby. And I know that feeling of this sense of urgency of trying to get yeah. all this stuff done. Yes. Yeah, I think it's basically like for everyone uh, listening, I am due to have my baby on Thursday next week. And when I say 
it's due. I mean, I'm scheduled in for a cesarean. So she will be arriving on Thursday next week. Unless she comes earlier. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. Don't say that. That's scaring the shit out of me. (laughs) Um, But I think what it comes down to is, again, the way that people work. Um, And for me, it was, you know, not to sound like a martyr at all. I think it it is um, the fact that I am probably a bit of a control freak and I really do just want to make sure that everything is lined up as best um, as I can manage before that period. And I think also it comes down to um, being someone who probably experiences a little bit of anxiety um, if things are not lined up like that. Um, and I think the best way for me to be able to switch gears and really focus on the new person in my life um, is to try to get everything kind of ticked off this list. Uh, whether that comes to fruition or not is a little bit kind of up in the air still. I feel like I've made pretty solid headway, but I think you've done um, well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Look, it is, it is one of those things. I know a lot of people I have mentioned it to, you know, who have asked me when I'm taking leave or, um, you know, what my situation is. And I've mentioned that I'm kind of working up until this point, have been quite shocked, um, some a little horrified, including my mother. But I think ultimately this is the best approach for me. Um, and yeah, I am now really excited. It's only a few days and um, and then I will be able to take that time off. And we've got such a brilliant team that is very adept at, at keeping track of everything. They're far more talented than I am. So um, that's really exciting and a massive relief as well. And, and I'm like you, saying, Huh? Including you, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I might say, like, it's just a little point to make about women who run their own businesses as well. Um, I know that there has been a little bit more flexibility introduced into the government paid parental leave system in the last few years to accommodate uh, women who run their own businesses and female entrepreneurs. And I might say from, from my experience, it was it's just really frustrating how the 18 weeks of leave uh, was set up. Like I say, a little bit has changed since I took this leave, but it's it made it hard. It basically it was like you need to take it, I think, all in one block, or it just was quite difficult to transfer it over to a partner. You can't obviously you're not supposed to be doing anything during that period, but it's hard to know what would count as doing something. Is it sending some emails? Is it catching up on a bit of work here and there? Because it's really hard to just disappear from your business for 18 weeks it can be it's quite different I mean it's hard to disappear from any job uh, for for many people and it's can be quite um daunting to first of all trying to it's hard to replace yourself when you're running a business because you're unlikely to be able to have the uh funding for that um and so things can just not happen we're lucky that we're co-founders so that we can kind of sort things out between us but I think that we just need a little bit more flexibility in yeah. that paid parental leave system to make yeah, sure that, that women can can take this time while also protecting their businesses. And it might mean that they need to be able to take some income from their business to account for some of the work that they might still have to do one day a week or something during that time, 
or maybe it's that they need to be able to break it up every week, every week, so that maybe they bring in something uh, every fortnight uh, to account for, again, some of the projects that they have to keep track of. So I don't know, it's just, it's just not easy to... about like how people want to manage that period off, right? I think there's this expectation that all women, when they have a baby, should just want to close shop, you know, nestle down on a couch and, and be with that baby and do nothing else. And, um, you know, that's quite a traditional expectation that we still hold in this country and our paid parental leave system certainly kind of, um, you know, aligns with that. Mm. So I think that's part of the problem as well is that, you know, for me, I love work and I also love my kids and I love my family and I'm really excited about having that time um, with, with my new baby. But if I want to have a day where I work on the business or I write a few articles or, you know, that's something that I would love to have the opportunity of doing. And I'm sure a lot of women would still love the opportunity to, to do that um, because I ultimately it's about making families work in the way that, you know, makes sense for that family. Um, and I don't think, you know, we were just talking about flexibility, but at the moment we don't have a flexible system there um, in terms of that. And um, it does make it, it does make it a little tricky, but mm. yeah. Anyway, it would be interesting to hear everyone else's thoughts on this as well. So if you do have, um, you know, experiences of similar things, um, you know, definitely write in and tell us. Yes, please do. And we'll see where we're at with the latest on those slight tweaks that happen for paid parental leave that you know, may help some people, but yeah, it's still not <laughs> flexible enough. So we'll get there. But thank you, Tala, for all that you've done and all the best next week and <laughs> all the weeks thereafter. I mean, I'm sure I'll speak to you before then. So <laughs> yeah. hundreds of times and I'm sure I'll keep <laughs> And uh, so taking a little break from the podcast, we'll have some different guests in the podcast over the coming weeks, which will be really fun to do as well. And we'll be chatting again here very soon, Tala, with hopefully yeah. plenty of interruptions. I'm sure. I'm sure. And a lot of vomit on my shoulder and various other joys that come with having a newborn. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can get access to all the stories that we discussed in some shape or form on our website at womensagenda.com.au. You can also go there and subscribe to our daily newsletter, which will hit your inbox just before lunchtime at womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. Thank you for listening.